What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw Rafts, of course. Hope he's doing well. I'm gonna have to look that up. See if I can get an update. Have we to got make Jays. A we visit. Got, uh, heck yeah! Let's get. Let's make it happen. We got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? Can, can we discuss what has happened with Patrick Beverly over the past 48 hours? Yes, we can. There's so many different things going on here, and I find it absolutely hilarious. I have I have many different feelings about it. Right. Many different. <laughs> the first is that ESPN capitalizing on the impending doom of the Suns by bringing on the guy who the professional player who might hate Chris Paul more than anybody bringing him on to talk about it is just genius because Pat Beverly was literally the number one trending topic on Twitter (laughs) at one point yesterday or two days ago. He might give himself a spot inside the NBA down the line for that guy. Like he might have just turned, like if he retired from the NBA (laughs) right this second, he would probably make more money next year on ESPN than he would in the NBA next season. (laughs) And so my first thought is, that's a good move from ESPN. It's a good business decision from ESPN as long as he just toes a very specific line, right? We can't, but and I think if the, the the last two days are any indication, he's going to be good. He would be good at towing this line of like, yeah, I'm going to piss a lot of people off, but I'm not actually going to say anything that can get ESPN in a lot of trouble or get me in a lot of trouble. Because, exactly like his career. Right. <laughs> I still remember I my dad gave me tickets, courtside tickets to a Grizzlies game. And the game we saw them play was the Rockets. You know, James Harden was there. Pat Beverly was on the team. And I will never forget the way that Pat Beverly screamed at one of the refs. It was, it was, there was no profanity. He said no cuss words. He said, but he was, uh, he just said he got called for a foul and he just screamed at him. I did not foul him. and it was so aggressive and it was so pat beverly but he he didn't say any sort of offensive word he just was really upset about it and he said i did not foul him um the other but the next part of this i want to dissect is the fact that i don't know if he created this but he absolutely unleashed what has to be the most disrespectful way to describe somebody based on physical performance right there are obviously when you get into personal stuff that's a whole different story sure. but talking about towing the line he called chris paul a cone yeah <laughs> I, I just can't think of it is there anything more disrespectful from an analytical perspective than calling a basketball player a cone <laughs> no <laughs> Apart from like non-existent, like apart, like if, like you at least would have to run over the cone if you ran straight over the cone. Like if you're non-existent, you're just not even there. But from a like, whoa, I've never heard somebody call somebody that. Yeah, it's probably pretty high up there. But also, if you, there's an implication with the cone that you're there and can't, you are simultaneously there and non-existent. Sure. I, I, buy I that. could, I couldn't believe he said that. And then the third part. And I saw some people make this point too, and this was really where my head went. 
he just brought Paul George into all this by volunteering that he was having a conversation with Paul George about all of this stuff. <laughs> right. Which A, I'm sure Paul George doesn't appreciate, and B, to the larger point of this conversation and sort of the, the two sides of what Matt Barnes was saying and Patrick Beverly going after Chris Paul like this, it's just funny to me that Patrick Beverly, when he went for the backup ammunition to go criticize Chris Paul, he pulled in Paul George. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just so in line with, right? If you disagree with the way Patrick Beverly was going about this and the optics of what he was doing, the fact it was him saying these things, bringing in Paul George just infuriates you even more and proves everything you believe about Patrick Beverly for better or worse. <laughs> and then on the other side of this, the thing that slightly infuriates me is that he hasn't said a, a, a correct thing since he has been on television. Like, like, not that it's factually incorrect, but Chris Paul is pretty, pretty undeniably like one of the seven best point guards of all time. Yeah. So, and, and that's the, that's the media side of me. And the, that's, <laughs> I, I refuse to just go and scream things that I think right. are just blatantly incorrect. Right. It's just quite, so it's that quite, people the, pay attention. It's the TV version of clickbait. Correct. Yeah. And. And, and we've had this conversation a million times on and off the podcast. But there's that's just a level that I will never go to. Like, uh, like maybe I'll get to the point where I'm ridiculous in front of the microphone, but I'll at least be ridiculous and I'll th- say things that are, you know, can be backed up with evidence. And there's nothing to suggest other than like Chris Paul's NBA playoff career disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. But that's pretty much the only part of Chris Paul's NBA career that is disappointing. That's pretty much it. And we all know how good of a defender he is and what he does to demand defense and all of these things. And I watched Chris Paul go against the Memphis Grizzlies for years in the early 2010s. I don't like Chris Paul. I'm not a Chris Paul fan. But there's a that, there's a small part of me on the other side of this that is just like man I wish that that wasn't the thing that got I, I'll put it this way I'm a much bigger fan of the attention JJ Redick is getting for being a logical NBA talking head than how much attention Pat Beverly has gotten for just going on and screaming and you know being Pat Beverly more power to him I suppose but I would I'm, I'm much more on the other side of that uh, in terms of what I wish would get the more more attention, but I'm also not naive, and I know that's not how it works. Yeah, and that was the other thought that came to my head is there are only so many things that can rally support for Chris Paul like this. But Chris Paul is not a you. He is not a universally beloved figure. No. Respected, absolutely. Not by Patrick Beverly, of course, but generally speaking, right? It, you don't hear people talking badly about Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. but he is not your player's favorite player kind of guy by any means um full stop because i'm just scrolling through twitter here um full stop full complete topic switch lionel Messi's gonna play in the freaking mls what allegedly what allegedly what? Okay, give me it's, 
Yeah, I need one out of 10, 10 being, yeah, it's a done deal. He's a hundred percent going to play in 2023 and one being like, that is the smokiest smoke I've ever seen. And there's nothing behind it. Where are we? Talk to me. Seven pushing on eight. Okay. If it was, so if, if it was if anybody but like, Inter Miami, uh-huh. it would probably be an eight. You just really okay. can't trust anything Inter Miami is doing. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Thank you for the 45 second soccer detour. Back to Pep Beverly. And the only other part I wanted to discuss was, did you see his, when he said ESPN brought me the numbers? No. I only found this clip earlier today. I'm sure they were good, though. He, Stephen A. said was making some point about how, you know, I respect how good of a defender you are. Mm. And Patrick Beverly interjected and said, I'm the best defender in the world. Stephen A. said something about I'm not willing to go that far, but obviously you, everybody knows you're a great defender or something. And Patchwork goes, ESPN gave me the numbers <laughs> without actually referencing what these numbers were. But somebody, thankfully, in the, the comments put the screenshot up there. So it was something to the effect of percentage, field goal percentage when this player is the primary defender or something, something like that. The point being, how effective are you defensively when you're the primary defender? And number one on the list is Giannis. Okay. And I think this was the past two seasons or something. I don't okay, know. so you're already not the best defender in the world. Right. ESPN gave you numbers that said you weren't the best defender in the world. He was second on that list. Yeah, <laughs> so, but like, but being second on that list when you're <laughs> when your job is to guard the point guards <laughs> and like the best scoring point guards in the NBA. None of them are efficient. None of them. None of the guys Pat Beverly would guard, they either aren't great scorers or they're not efficient. It kind we're of talking, comes with the position. Yeah. We're talking about Kyrie Irving. We're talking Damian about Lillard. Damian Lillard. We're talking about, but like, you're, he's not guarding. Maybe he is guarding Luca, but like, I guarantee you those are the ones that aren't his best nights. You're guarding Ja. Love Ja. Ja is not efficient. Um, so I like, that's a little bit like telling me you're a great putter, but when I look at your putting stats, you just make a bunch of two footers because you never hit the green and you're actually good at short game. Like, like you putting, your, just, right, putting yourself in a position to not right. need, make hard putts. Yeah. Right. So that's fine. He is a good defender. I'll give him that. And he's super annoying. But which I think is just kind of part of being a good defender is being super annoying, at least when you're a guard. Um, but that's I, I, I originally thought you were talking about the ratings when you said, oh. did you see about him saying showing the ESPN show me the numbers? I thought you were talking about the ratings of him being on Get Up and him being, oh, you know, no. on ESPN. <laughs> no, this was during the same first take appearance. And, and so then he basically said, Something to the effect of, so literally he is incorrect because Giannis was better as a primary defender, but he was second and he was close. So then at some point in there, he basically said, I'm Giannis out there. Hmm. <laughs> it was just, yeah, okay. the whole thing was just, right, so many angles to dissect, so much going on. All of it really means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things, but I can't wait until we get that game next year. <laughs> Agreed. Chris Paul may have, Chris Paul may have had no hesitation in announcing he was well he announced before, but if he had any second thoughts, I think they're gone. Mm-hmm. 
Can we do thirty seconds on the collapse of the Suns in Game Seven of that series? Is that the is that the worst Game Seven performance you've seen relative to expectations in your life? I mean, I, I certainly can't think of a worse one off the top of my head. And is there a team? And then here's part two of your question: Have you ever gone from being more sure about an NBA <laughs> about a team in general to being like, oh my gosh, like what are we going to do with this team next year? Right. And that's, that's to me, what makes it so shocking. I had no doubt in my mind they were going to win that game. Mm -hmm. Well, it it is. And I tweeted about this when it was clear that they were going to lose. It's well, it it was like, I mean, there's an argument that six minutes into the first quarter, it was clear they were going to (laughs) lose. But I tweeted that it is, it is terrifying to play a team that has Luka Doncic in it when they have when they have Luca and it's a winner take all one game mm-hmm. because sure. more times than not that dude is going to be the best player on the floor yep. and it wasn't even close in this particular game yep. and then like you know Spencer Deadwitty doing these random things where he has 30 and like has was good in the series in general but it is it is why we had this conversation and I was having this conversation a week or so ago but I had this conversation about you know I'm just going to start picking series based on which team is more likely to have the best player in the game more times than not. And it's not always going to work out perfectly. See the box. Right. But I would also argue that if you're playing the odds, it's more likely that like now Grant Williams was like the best player in game seven. So there are these times where it doesn't exactly work out, but for example, I think it might be more like from a percentage perspective, is it more likely that between Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they're the best player on the floor more times in a seven game series than Luca is maybe, maybe not, but like that it can go beyond, okay, who just has the best player in the series? Because like, if you were going to rank the best players in the Bucks Celtics series, you'd go Giannis one, but you'd probably go Tatum Brown two and three. Yeah, which goes to the, the whole Chris Middleton factor. We don't need to dissect. Right. But and, and we if, don't need to dissect. But the yeah. point I'm making is this is why it's such a big deal to have the best player on the floor. Because when you have a game seven, it's just, I mean, would you rather have Luka or home court in game seven? It's a fair question. And that is, and a lot of times, you know, the best team also has the best player. Right. And, and <laughs> it kind of goes all seven. together. Yeah. Right. But I was pretty stunned. Anyways, okay. I, uh, I I felt like it was a little bit like the elephant in the room. I've seen like three tweets about it, and it's you know now Tuesday, and the game was forty eight hours ago, and people are still talking about it. So I had to bring it up. Mavericks role players not getting enough credit. Told you that before. I'm now saying it on this podcast too. All right. They are they are very good at the way they play. That's my, that's what I've decided my thing is about this. They make life very difficult because they are excellent at doing the things that bother teams and have set them up for success. They fit mm. their roles perfectly. Fair enough. Okay. Let's get to what we've actually, uh, the actual goal of this podcast. So We've had a couple of very, very high-profile coaching retirements in 
really the last couple of years, I feel like we could, if we wanted to add Roy Williams to mm-hmm. this sort of mini series, we could do this, do, we could do that as well. Um, but in an attempt to kind of look back on some historic coaching careers, we felt like just, you know, one podcast on Jay Wright and one pot, you know, and we kind of did the K retirement podcast, like, you know, we had our friend Brendan Marks from The Athletic, uh, you know, on a year ago. And then again, sort of not quite a year ago um, to do that kind of podcast. But we wanted to kind of try and take a look at the players on the floor in, you know, throughout the tenure of guys like Kay, like Jay Wright. Maybe we'll throw Roy, Roy Williams into this conversation as well. But we're starting with Kay here and we wanted to put together are all Coach K team. So the five best players that K coached in his tenure. Josh, when you're putting this list together, so that's what we're doing today. We're going to go through each of our first teams, first team, all Coach K. Um, And then I've got, as I was going through this, I had, you know, five or six questions, wonderings, thoughts, things I learned um, that I thought I could bring up to Josh. So we'll talk about those after we kind of do uh, our all coach K teams. We're going to do this with Jay Wright. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see the two teams that we come up with. And I haven't done, you know, I have thoughts about who my Villanova, what my Villanova team will look like. Granted, we're talking about half the time that, isn't that wild? Jay Wright was there for 21 years and he was there half as long as K was at Duke. Um, but then again, um, and it's been a little longer than that, but I don't know about you, but I think all five of my Duke players are in the last 30, I guess, 33 years. So it's not. Oh, we got something different then. We do? Yep. Cool. Um, unless I'm missing. a t- Anyways. Um, but still, so it's a little bit smaller of a pool, but uh, right. Definitely having the career that is warranted of doing this kind of exercise. But do you have anything you would like to add, Mr. Drawing, before we talk about uh, our first team all K's perhaps how you approach this did you approach this from a hey I want to can this team be on the floor together at the same time and it makes sense is it the most talented Duke players of all time the most accomplished ones of all time a lot of times in this situation I thought they overlapped in a pretty big way um, so perhaps those two are one and the same in this specific situation but anything you'd like to say before we hop into it yeah this was very much reminded me of our all conference teams we did during the pandemic mm-hmm. and we are going to do our all favorite teams at the end yes because that's very important yes so yeah th- to me this is sort of balancing the accomplishments and the talent but duke in particular and we can talk about this sort of after we go through our list more it, be- it gets really interesting because of the one and done shift mm-hmm in the fact that all of, for the most part, all of these guys who you would, when you go back and when you think about Duke, you think of, have both numbers that are, you know, comparable to what Zion Williamson put up. Mm -hmm. Did it for multiple seasons and had way more team success. And so I thought about, the idea popped into my head of Zion because we always sort of went back and forth on that with the all-conference teams, right? Of Anthony Davis was just so good. He's going to get on the all-SEC team because mm-hmm. look at what he did when he was at Kentucky. Right. 
that usually came at the expense of a Marcus Howard or somebody, mm-hmm. right, who put up all these numbers but didn't have the the team success that made you feel like he sort of has to be on that list. Sure. These these Duke guys and a, a couple of them in particular, they had all of it. <laughs> they were the best player in the country or one of the best players on one of the best teams in the country. You know, they checked every single box, which makes it really difficult for basically anybody past that 2010 national championship team to get on the list because they were every bit as good as you were statistically in that one season. Mm. And then they, you know, made another final four or had another all ACC selection or, you know, moved up to where they're the top five in Duke scoring or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. It's a, they are, they were so, Coach K was so good for so long and he did it with four-year players for so long that it almost, at least for me, boxes out the last 10 or so years. So do you have anybody on your list from the last 10 years? No. Okay. How many national champions do you have on your team? One, two, three. Three. Okay. So we definitely have somebody different because I have three national champions on my team and I have a guy from the last 10 years. Okay. I, yeah. We'll, we'll have a conversation. Okay. I think enough. I know who, I think I know who it is. I, I mean, it's the, don't think too hard. It's, it, it's the guy from the last 10 years. Eh, the last, it could also be from the last five years. Um, oh, okay. Because I just kind of think that guy was so good that he can't be on, that he has to be on the list. Um, but we can have a conversation about it. Yes, I have three national champions on my team. Um, and I, I built this as a modern lineup. So I basically have three guards, a versatile power forward, and a big. They can play on the floor together, but it is not a very stringent point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward center. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay. Let's hop into it. Let's do it. Um, let's just go. Let's start with some of the obvious ones. We'll just start with one that like, we have to stop the podcast right now. If you let's have this thing, this guy on your list. Okay. All right. That's just how this okay. works. Okay. Um, Christian Leitner. Yep. He is my center. Okay. Um, quick, you know, sort of, I mean, this guy was going to be on the list. I mean, talk about a guy who was one of the most talented guys to ever play for K. Did you, I'll get to it in a second. One of the most talented guys to play the K for K four years, 88 to 92, 16.6 points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 57.4 field goal percentage. He's the all time three point field goal percentage leader in Duke history. Now him being in, in being in the early 90s shooting three-pointers and making a bunch of them is a different thing than like shooting a bunch of them like like jj reddick nobody's trying to say that leitner is the better three-point shooter than jj reddick but it was the efficiency is just kind of off the charts at 48 and a half percent um and when you look at that it's like man what if leitner was just like a stretch big now like like what if he came out uh, in like 2015 not in 1988 um, did you know Leitner had as like long as of, of an NBA career as he did? He played in the NBA until 2005. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it wasn't. Now it was very much not like we're talking after 1990. He he averaged 
he averaged double digit points only twice after 1997, 98. So like his best seasons, but like, I kind of always was like, yeah, Leitner was really, really good in college and then not that good in the NBA. But from 92, when he entered the NBA, all the way up until 98, he had an all-star selection and his averages looked like this. 16.6 points, 7.9 rebounds, three assists, 1.2 steals, a block, 48% from the field. He didn't become, he didn't turn into a three-point shooter in the NBA. Um, but like 82% from the free throw line, like a super efficient NBA player played all 82 games in 96, 97, 18.1, 8.8, 2.7. That year was an all-star. And, and of course, relative to what he was at Duke, I'm sure anybody, the people who drafted him were like, Hey, like I ultimately not the career you want to Christian Leitner to have in the NBA, but he was way more productive than I had just kind of assumed that he was in the NBA. Um, but anyways, but he, his last NBA, NBA season, he played 49 games for the 2004, 2005 Miami heat at the age of 35. Now, yeah. you know, 15 minutes per game. So like a guy in the rotation, 15 minutes per game, that's, that's respectable minutes um, for a role player. So um, was around way longer than I just had remembered in my head that he was around in the NBA. Yeah. And it's that weird space where we have no concept of that NBA. Right. And right. Just the, and the narrative around Christian Wagner very much centers around Duke. Right. So Absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, okay. So we've both got Leitner. Yeah, um, yeah. Four final fours, two national titles. I mean, when you think Duke and Coach K, he's the first person that comes to mind, at least for me. Yep. Yeah, there was there was no discussion about his place on the list. All right, take me somewhere next. Am I trying to correctly predict when you have as well? Um, if you'd like to, or you could, you could try to not have one I have as well, because <laughs> then I could bring up one that I don't have that I know you don't have, and we could have a conversation. So wherever you want to go. You know what? Let's just sort of go into the middle. My small forward is JJ Redick. Okay. I have no Did, issues with that. JJ Redick is also on my list. Okay. I, this was also one of the, my non-negotiables. He is the leading scorer in Duke history. He has over 300 more made three-pointers than anybody else in program history. He made a final four. His team was top one or two in the AP poll at some point, all four of his seasons. No, he didn't have the team success of these other players, which is ridiculous to think that JJ Reddick's Duke career from a team standpoint was relatively speaking unsuccessful. Right. It's not like he was on bad teams. No, There's that just, would be, that would be a bold statement to say yeah. that he was on bad teams. Yeah. They're just um, a specific time period in which it's something I want to say for the end, but sure, it, the bar is very, very high when it comes to team success in this list. You right. You had the nineties success. You had the early 2000s success from a national title perspective. And then it was Redick and a bunch of teams that ultimately didn't get it all the way done. That's the, that's the point I make that, yeah. that a team not winning a national title at Duke now is different because the juxtaposition just isn't quite as like, oh my gosh, the way that they won titles, right. you know, 
he was not part of one of the national title eras. Correct. But I, he is the best scorer in program history. He's the best three-point shooter in program history. And again, when you think of Duke, right after Christian Leitner, for me, is J.J. Beck. Agreed. I literally say right behind Leitner in terms of guys you think about first at Duke. That's literally on my, on my notes right now. Yeah. Best shooter of all time in college basketball history? At least, at least in the moment, at least in the moment, because I think that I'm, I'm here for entertaining the whole, like in hindsight, Steph Curry's the best player, the best shooter to shoot at any level ever. Um, So like in, in hindsight, I'm willing to have that conversation, but certainly the way that his career was thought of as it was ending, there aren't, there aren't many guys that, and like, he was kind of in that because shooting as many threes as he did in 2005 it was like not happening a ton mm-hmm. right and, uh, and his ability to score the way he did with the volume of threes he took right right he was a great three-point shooter who was also the, the primary go-to option on his team right that is when you talk about other guys in that category the first name that comes to mind is Steph. Mm-hmm. so maybe somebody is a better pure three-point shooter but having to do it at the volume J.J. Redick did, it gives him an edge for me. 40.6 three-point field goal percentage career at Duke, 40%, which is kind of right. When you, when you see the – just like Steph, when you see Steph's three-point field goal per shooting, you know, shooting percentage every year, it's like, okay, add like 11 points to that in actuality from like a – if you if you add in toughness or like if you asked anybody else in the NBA to take the you know number of shots that he did in the same exact spot, how many percentage points better is Curry than the next best mm-hmm. guy? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, kind of the same vibe there um, from Redick. I mean, he, and he still shot over forty percent from for his career. Very very impressed. But yes, he's on my list as well. You want to go next? Sure. Okay, let's have the conversation. Um, Zion Williamson is on my list. Okay. Zion Williamson is on my list because I think he is the most dominant player in Duke basketball history. There was certainly, and that was where my argument and I just consideration would lie. Yeah. And I just kind of think that guy has to be on your list. And especially when like, like, and, and you talked about it a little bit, when you look at, when you look at like the best seasons in Duke basketball history. And you you talked about, yeah, it's hard for guys to, you know, in the last 10 years kind of crack that list when you look at the years that some of those guys in the you know nineties and the early two thousands have, and then you say, Oh yes. And they also had this team success. You didn't Zion's one year at Duke is just freaking different. <laughs> it's just, it's just absolutely preposterous what he did from a, an efficiency perspective and I am, I am in the camp of you can look at that and still not really understand how unstoppable he was that year. Absolutely. I, I mean, and, 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 and his stats are 22.69222 on 68% shooting from the field. He shot 34% from the three-point line that year. And, like, and you still don't really understand how dominant he was. You still don't really understand. And I think, and, and there's the, right. There's a point where you have to say, okay, 
because I agree with you, it's it's harder for me to put guys that sort of fall into this category on this list. Now, Zion, I've never really had a cat, an issue, and I've been pretty mm-hmm. consistent with this in every kind of list that we've been able, that we've come up with that kind of has this conversation to be had, mm-hmm. this yeah. conversation of team success and talent and like, what if he's just so freaking good? I've pretty much through and through been on the list of, been on the side of Zion was so freaking good that he goes on this list and I don't have to ask a ton of questions and don't feel like I have to justify it all that much. But um, he's just, what he did that year, I think just kind of surpasses a lot of that conversation. I just think he was that good. He was that dominant. Um, And I don't have, I'm here for all of the other guys that you might have considered and that, you know, whoever's on your, this team in, in place of somebody else, in place of Zion, I'm, I'm here for it. I don't necessarily disagree with it, but on a team that is dominated by guys like Leitner, like Redick, I think there's a place for a guy like this because, like I said, I think he's the most dominant player in Duke history from a, you just cannot stop this guy. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, and it's um, so that's why he's on my list. Um, I'm all here for the other conversations, but I feel like I've been pretty, pretty solid on this as we've done this multiple times in sort of different contexts uh, about just how good I thought he was at Duke. Um, and I will continue to go to bat for that on this particular team. I originally was planning to put him in my starting lineup and talk myself out of it. You talk to that's cool. I'm I'm here and I want to hear when you give me, you know, whenever we you tell me which guy it was who kind of knocked him off the list. I would I, I want to hear what kind of what talked you out of it, why it, you were talked out of it. Because because there might be an argument that like I just am not interested in being talked out of it. Like I just kind of <laughs> don't even give myself a chance to get talked yeah. out of it because I think he belongs on the list. But um Zion did make my list. Um, and was easily the most recent, you know, talking by 15 years, the most recent Duke player to that I had on, on my team. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with your logic, and this might be the only list in which, and I mean, maybe a North Carolina example, but North Carolina hasn't had a one-and-done like that. Because I'm right, Kentucky's list is going to have one-and-dones if you're making an all-cal team. Mm-hmm. This might be the only group of players where I'm able to talk myself out of putting sure. Zion on the list. Sure. If it was any other, school, I would agree with would that. I would agree with that. I think, right. Yeah. I would, and I would very much agree with that. Because I absolutely subscribe to the notion of those numbers you, do, you don't understand. <laughs> so. So who do you not have on your, who do you, who did you who did you put on this list at the expense of Zion Williamson? If he was on your list, kind of tentatively to begin with. So that would be Johnny Dawkins. Okay, I do not have Johnny Dawkins. Similar to JJ Redick, he's right behind him on the scoring list. He averaged 18 points as a freshman. First team All American as a junior. Won the Naismith as a senior. They were 37 and three. They won both ACC titles and reached the national championship game. Ultimately, what 
gave him the slight edge over Zion is Johnny Dawkins' career was basically the starting point of Duke being Duke and them reaching, reaching that national championship. He That's was, fair. And I, you know I put a lot of significance on that kind of symbolism. He is the first great K Duke player. Right. Is that fair? Yes. I mean, there are other guys that were there in that same four years. Yeah. Mark that Gallery, means- that, you know, the, uh, those, the, the other guys kind of yeah. on that team. But yeah, that was right. He was the biggest name on those teams that really put Duke where then the next group in the next decade, you know, five years, five to 10 years picked up and solidified Duke as Duke. So that, that is what gave him the slight edge over Zion, just because ultimately the one thing I have a hard time off, a hard time with when it comes to Zion is, to me, his legacy is, look how awesome he was, right? He didn't leave an impact on college basketball other than highlights. They didn't make a Final Four. They weren't the best team in the country from start to finish. Not to take anything away from him, but when the bar is this high, that does count as a strike against you for me, especially when you only have one season. But ultimately, all of That's these fair. guys, when you, now, granted, they had you know four seasons to put it together and grow, but statistically, they all have seasons that can match up with Zion. From a dominance, physical dominance standpoint, I'm right there with you that they don't. But that was, that was my justification for putting Johnny Dawkins instead. I think that's fair. I, think I, have, I have no issues with that. No issues with that. Now we got to okay. see if we have the same last two. Okay. Um, I have a guy from the 90s and a guy from the 90s slash early 2000s. Okay. I have a guy who played with Leitner. Yeah. And a guy who won a national championship. So I had two national champions. So we got two, we got somebody different then. Okay. So I have Grant Hill. Do you have Grant Hill? I do have Grant Hill. Okay. Good. Uh, Grant Hill, um, you know, he might be the guy that if he played, he didn't play, like he played with Leitner and Bobby Hurley and was still an All-American twice. Mm-hmm. And he might be like his career might look completely different. And maybe, you know, he is part of that sort of what I would consider the like greatest four years of Duke basketball, right? That yep. those early two nine those early 1990s teams. Yep. But like if he was on a team where he was like just straight up the bona fide guy, like is, is are we thinking about Grant Hill's Duke career? differently than we already do which is like he's one of the five best <laughs> players and like i saw this where he was like number two right behind leitner in terms of the best players k has ever coached like like this is the kind of level we're in and like it wouldn't like completely stun me if like yeah he's the obvious best player on his team and we're talking about him being the best duke player that coach that k ever coached mm-hmm. um and he did get back to a national championship game without either of those and guys he did. his senior yep. year which matters a great deal to me to your to yeah. your point about what of it yeah he was uh you know acc player of the year when those guys left yeah so yeah grant hill's on my list that was another guy that went on there pretty pretty quick because i think it's interesting and that i have a couple some of my questions kind of get us into this 
into this conversation. But I think what Grant Hill became at, because so Leitner, his story has always been defined by what he did at Duke, rightfully mm-hmm. so. I think Grant Hill, we've kind of forgotten how good Grant Hill was at Duke because of the, t- the player he became in the NBA from like a, and, and Grant Hill has had a, had a very, very long and very illustrious NBA career. I mean, he played from 95 to 2003, 13 was an, a seven time all-star and five-time All-NBA. We're talking about a very, very good NBA career. But, like, especially for me, kind of in those back half years, like a guy that you just really wanted on your team because yep. he was – he did – like, we're talking about a guy who at one point averaged 25, 26 a game for, um, for the Pistons. He did not 20. come – Injuries prevented him from becoming anywhere near the player he could be, which is a terrifying thought based on what he did. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, right. And then like in 2000, you know, he didn't play. There, there was this, this stint between 2000 and 2004 that he played a, a whopping total of 47 games. He played four in 2000, 2001. Um, he played 14 in 2001, 2002. 29 in 2002 2003 and didn't play at all in 2003 4. Um, and I think that's kind of skewed it a little bit because he was elite, he was an all star five, four, four, his first four years and six of his first seven, and then only had one after that. Um, but all of this, my point being is that it's it's a little the inverse at this point and like sort of the very end of Grant Hill's career. It's like that dude was freaking awesome for a really, really, really long time at Duke and then in the NBA as well. Um, but when you look at, I mean, he's arguably the most talented player that Duke is, that K yep. has ever had. And uh, he went on this list pretty quickly. And just the ability, you know, I love a good stat sheet, stat sheet stuffer. Mm-hmm. Of, he can just do everything. Totally. And that's partially why his game transitioned so well to the NBA and why he became such a good NBA player. Yeah, I, the numbers don't necessarily jump out at you the way they might for some of these other guys with the scoring of J.J. Redick and the sheer volume of things Christian Leitner accumulated kind of things. But, or also, you know, my final player on this list. But absolutely from a talent perspective and an impact perspective, he is right there with anybody that is playing for Mike Jusevsky. No question in my mind. Agreed. Okay, who's last on your list? I'm curious. Bobby Hurley. Okay. That was, he was in that six, seven range. He was one of the, one of the first guys left. I kind of in that Johnny Dawkins area, but honestly, I was getting a little bored with just having all the guys <laughs> on the early 1990s teams on, on that list. Yeah. And, and I went that those, there was just not another run like that in Mike Krzyzewski's career. And sure. So clearly that was the best collection of players he had. And they all did mm-hmm. something a little different. So I can justify putting them all on here. Mm-hmm. And they all have, whether it's the versatility of Grant Hill and the pure talent, the legacy of Christian Leitner, and the fact mm-hmm. that Bobby Hurley is the, the NCAA's all-time assist leader, mm-hmm. a four-year starter, a two-time national champion with three final fours, who, by the way, is also 22nd in Duke history in scoring. And shot over 40% from three. They all have something that puts them there by themselves in addition to the team success. Sure. None of them are 
the, well, you know, he was a good player on a great team, so he kind of gets that boost. Now, does Bobby Hurley's numbers without the team success put him here? No. Mm-hmm. But he has both. And that's I think fine. that's... I don't think that's... We, we don't need to knock him for that. Yeah. In, in your, you're, you're not knocking him right, for right, that. Right, but I, right. I, I, I wouldn't knock him for that either. Right. That's all it's, it's not like he was, you know, just the steady point guard that averaged 10 points and five assists. <laughs> you know, he was... Hey, that was some flack thrown at Greg Paulus right there. That was major <laughs> shade thrown at Greg Paulus right there. I'm not here for that. It wasn't particularly directed at Greg Collins, but right. <laughs> but that's who you're talking about, basically. <laughs> those kind of players, sure. Not that they're right. They have a very important place in Duke's history, right. but they're not getting on this list because their teams were great. All of these guys have both, and that's what makes it so difficult for somebody to get like Zion to get on the list for me. That's the simplest way I can put it: is they were also ridiculously good individually, and also were on some of the best teams in college basketball history. He doesn't have both of those things. These guys, with the exception of J.J. Redick. Now, J.J. Redick's teams were great. They are not some of the best in college basketball history. But he was, I mean, he is Duke. So he has to get on the list too. But that's, I went Bobby Hurley from a, just from a legacy perspective and the fact that he has the numbers to back it up too. I think that's completely fair. I think if, I admittedly think I got a little fatigued with, okay, I'm going to put a third. <laughs> and, and and honestly, if you told me three of the five best players in Duke basketball history played on the same team together, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Right. Okay. That's fine. Um, it, it is kind of, it is kind of boring to just go, well, you know, they all were, right. They sort of made fine. The other part is that they were successful on the front and back end. Sure. So Hurley who gets there earlier and Grant Hill at the very end, both have the same amount of success. It's not like they were all built on the same two sure. seasons. They were sure. just all there for those two seasons in addition sure. to everything else they accomplished. Sure. Um, so my list has, right, I got two guys that represent sort of that early 90s time, Leitner and, and Hill. Um, I think J.J. Redick just has to be on there. Mm-hmm. And like I've laid out extensively, I think Zion Williamson needs to be on there. I also, in this last guy on my list, I think I decided that I needed somebody on this list to represent the early 2000s, which is why Jay Williams is on my list. Mm. Because Jay Williams, like Leitner, Jay Williams is, was the best player on a Duke K team that won a national title. And that mattered to me. Um, he was only there for three years at Duke. He probably is the all-time Duke leading scorer if he stays all four. I mean, he averaged 21 per game each of his last two seasons at Duke. It was like 15 the first year. But um, as a sophomore, he averaged 21.6, 3.3, and 6.1 rebound assists. Averaged six assists at, for his career at Duke. 19.36 and 2.2, 2.2, that sounds like a lot of steals. 1.2 steals, I think that's a typo. Um, but I think, you know, average 26 per game in that national title run, 26 per game, like that is, that's ludicrous. Um, and I wanted somebody on this. I feel like Jay is one of the five most talented players that Duke has, oh, that no question. Jay has ever seen. And no I, don't think, I don't think I need to justify that. Um, and I think that what he did as the best player on a team that won it, because 
K and, and I say only, but K has only five, right? It's not like we're talking about John Wooden level national mm-hmm. titles. Yep. And we can have a conversation about like, is that, I mean, I will never call five national titles, especially when an all-timer like Izzo only has one. And I don't think like, I don't think five in any way, shape or form is disappointing, but when you go through, okay, how many times do you have the, a team capable of winning a national title? It's a lot more than five, um, which is a testament to just how the longevity of his tenure at Duke yeah. more than anything else. But um, there are a lot of really, really good players at Duke that never won a title, including guys that I have on my team. And Jay is, you know, just foregoing, you know, he decided to go to the NBA instead of, you know, coming back and eventually I think being the all-time leading scorer at Duke. And he was the best player on the title team. And he's one of the five most talented players that K has ever had. I, all of those things coupled with, I wanted somebody representing that really, those really good years in the early 2000s. I wanted somebody on here kind of representing those teams. Um, uh, and so that's why Jay ends up on my list ultimately. If you're making a Mount Rushmore based on talent, to me, it's Grant Hill, Jay Williams, Zion, and you pick the last person. Yeah, absolutely. It, he's another guy because of what happened later and the fact that it didn't translate to the NBA. Mm. It is so easy to... Well, and it probably it. would have, too, right, because right. It, tra- it didn't transfer because he decided he wanted a motorcycle. Right, right. It wasn't a he tried and it didn't work right. kind of thing. He's probably the big, like, as of right now, like we could look up in three years and Zion is still, you know, played 20 games in the last three years. And he's the biggest, what if Duke history mm-hmm. in terms of a, of a professional oh, career. Yeah. Um, but right oh, now he's not, he's not close to Jay Williams yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. nowhere close. Not right. yet. And so again, it's very easy to, because not only was he not a great NBA player, he didn't, he wouldn't even stick around for you to think about as an NBA player. Mm-hmm. And so especially for people like us who have no firsthand knowledge of Jay Williams as a Duke player. It is so easy to just look at him as an analyst on ESPN now and say, all right, he played at Duke, Mm -hmm. which is just incredibly disrespectful to what he accomplished. Oh yes. Yes. 100%. 100%. So those are my five, my five. I've got, I've got Jay and JJ in the backcourt, Jay Williams and JJ in the backcourt. And then my front court, my, my, forward slash wings are grant hill and zion williamson and my my stretch big is uh is christian lane it's pretty good i'll take it <laughs> yeah so you went big and i went small but i sort of felt the same way yeah you know bobby hurley running the offense johnny dawkins on one side jj reddick on the other grant hill to bring it all together and christian Leitner. yeah that sounds pretty good yeah i'm fine with that <laughs> i'm fine with that I'm, I'm 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 completely completely fine with that Okay, so just to we're doing all favorites at a later date. Are we doing yes. it today? Okay, yeah. that was my understanding. I wanted to make sure. Um, so a couple of these are so I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions slash period for you. Okay, none <laughs> oh, of them are hard. But if you would, if you would like to forego elaboration at the expense of your all favorite team, then that's uh, fine. Okay. okay. Because some of those, some of these kind of overlap. Okay. Um, question See, number one. Sorry, go ahead. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to think long and hard about my all-time favorite Duke team. 
I didn't think, I, I didn't realize and, this until now, but we're in kind of a, a cool spot with this, where you have a very emotional attachment to this program, and mm. I have very emotional attachment to Villanova. Mm, you're right. This is true. But I grew up in a household that does not like Duke, <laughs> that believes Duke wins too much. And mm. so there are a lot of people who think that. Right. right. There are people Certainly. that I grew up with in my own household, <laughs> shouts to my father, who think that Duke wins too much. So it's gonna it's gonna take some real thinking for me to come up with that that list and, where I feel like you have you know exactly where you want to go with it. And and I have I have offered questions and so I'm gonna take one of these out because one okay. of these is a little redundant. So I'm gonna take one of these out. But I've offered up. Oh, I'm gonna take two of them out. Sorry, I'm <laughs> taking two of them out. Okay, so I've got five, and All I've right. offered one. Two of them are trivia. The other three I've kind of offered up like just kind of half, you know, half researched, half thought about, half baked like answers to the questions to give you kind of an idea. Okay. okay. Um, the first one is a question. Who's your favorite point guard of the Coach K era? My, my initial reaction is to say John Shire. That is my initial reaction as well. Um, I also like two on that list of probably Tyus Jones. If John mm-hmm. Shire is one, I very yep. much loved what Tyus Jones was to that 2015 yep. team. Absolutely. Um, and I think John Shire just from a, like the way he was built, the way he played as a very, in a point guard that in at first look, looks like a pretty like vanilla for lack of a better word <laughs> to put use college point guard right he did a lot of things really well he was six five so he was like huge for a college point he was almost kyle anderson ish mm-hmm. like at ucla like trying to kind of find a guy that is like do, does a lot of things shoots it well and and kyle anderson a different player but that kind of yeah. that kind of vibe that on first look it's like is that guy doing anything special and that guy you know is one of the 20 best duke players of all time so right. like of course he is um but he was always one of my favorites he was one of in, in early on like you know when duke won the national title the game i was that national title i was 12 and shire was absolutely one of my first like favorite duke guys <laughs> absolutely 100 um so shire you know the other guys i sort of threw out there were greg paulus bobby hurley Kyrie, both jones brothers chris yep. duhan um but I think it's Shire for me. I think Tyus Jones too. Fair enough. Okay. Um, we'll do the trivia's at the end. Okay. Um, who is your your NBA K first team? Ooh. So. So based su- on successful? so based on NBA careers, who's your who, okay? Based on the five best, if you want. If I asked you, based on NBA careers, the team, the guys that K has coached. Grand Hill. Yep. I got five. I, I wrote five guys down. Okay. I want to yeah, see, see what... this is this is a lot of pressure on the spot here. I feel like I'm definitely gonna miss some guys. No, oh, and go. I and I, and I promise you I spent like 30 seconds on these guys. <laughs> Kyrie. Yep. The only JJ Reddick's gotta be pretty close. He is on there. Um, Shane Battier. Battier is on there. And then I've got one more. Recent or not so recent? Uh, very, very recent. Very, very relevant right this second. Hmm. 
still playing in the NBA playoffs. Yes, you know, I, I go through my 46 points in oh, game six oh, of the oh, NBA duh. of the yes, series. Jason, the, Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. Um, on sort of the outside looking in, um, Elton Brand. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and then there's a lot of guys on the sort of like this RJ Barrett, Brandon Ingram mm-hmm. kind of, um, kind of spots. Yep. Um, Danny Ferry had a long NBA career. Chris Duhon. Uh, Chris Duhon. Um, but those are kind of, then that kind of tails off. Carlos Boozer. Yeah. Um, long NBA career there. Um, but yeah, the team I kind of came up with off the top of my head was Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Grant Hill, um, Shane Battier, and J.J. Reddick. That was yeah. kind of the, the team I came up with okay. off, uh, off the cuff. Um, first team all white. <laughs> Leitner and Bobby Hurley, no doubt. Yep. And J.J. Reddick. Yep. I got two more. Grace We've already Allen. talked about one of them. We've already talked about one of them. Shire? Mm-hmm. So Kyle, Singler, Kyle Singler's got to be on that list. Then. Yeah, that, those were my five. Shire, okay. Reddick, Singler, Leitner, Hurley. I might swap Allen with Shire. but With who? Who wish Allen. Oh, I – not necessarily from a – and I think that – I think John Shire was the better Duke player than Grayson Allen. Yeah, I would also I just, go bad for that one. I just feel like Grayson Allen needs to be on that team. Sure. Sure. I mean, if you're talking most hated, then absolutely. Oh, that would, anybody, a, that would have been a fun one. That's him, a good him one. Him and Reddick are, you just don't need the rest of the team. I mean, him, Reddick, Reddick Leitner. Oh, yeah. I mean, Leitner just yeah. there. Yeah. Probably yeah. Bobby Hurley's on there, too. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, okay, those are my three kind of like, okay, and now I got two trivias. The first, K's had three number one overall picks. Who are they? Kyrie. Don't think too hard about the second one. Grant Hill? No, I didn't think so. Uh, Super recent. Oh, Zion. Yep. And who's the third? Elton Brand? That's correct. Elton Brand. And and then Art Heyman. There there have been more number one overall picks in Duke history. There's been Mm -hmm. one more. Kay didn't coach the fourth one. It was Art Heyman in 1963. Um, he has had a he's had five second overall picks: Marvin Bagley, Brandon Ingram, Jawari Parker, Jay Williams, and Danny Ferry. Um, he's had a million third overall picks: <laughs> R.J. Barrett, Jason Tatum. Tatum, Jaleel Okafor, Mike Dunleavy, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, Dick Grote, and that's all of them. And then he's had another four, another three top fives: Sheldon Williams, Jack Marin, and Jeff Mullins. Well, Jack Marin and Jeff Mullins, he didn't uh, he didn't coach. Um, those were early, those were mid sixties guys, but then Shane Battier was six, Wendell Carter Jr. The seventh, Lal Dang seven, Bobby Hurley seven. Um, and then we got to get into the Cam Reddish, Justice Winslow, Austin Rivers area, JJ Reddick 11. Um, but he coached three of them. There have been four um, in Duke basketball history. And the last one, Duke has 13 Jersey numbers retired. The men's basketball program has retired 13 of them. K, K coached nine of them. Can you name all nine? Yeah, that's, see, I was looking at these in preparation, so I have at least some. Reddick. Yep. Hurley. Yep. Leitner. 
correct. Wait, this is wait, can can you and if you can give me the number. Oh, and and I wouldn't have been able to get all of those either. So so I will I will help. But okay. Reddick was four. Correct. Hill was thirty-three. Correct. Leitner thirty-two. No. Uh, yes, Leitner thirty-two. Let's go. Uh, let's let's think if I can get other. Okay, Battier, so you've got Battier thirty-one. That's correct. Yeah. You're uh, missing. So you've got two guys you haven't set. You you got right. You said Hurley. Yeah. And then you've got 12? two. Nope, close. What I was going to say is you've got two more guys that each wore a double number. 11 for Hurley. Correct. So you've gotten four, one, two, three, four, five of the nine. I think. One, two, three. Yes, five of the nine. Is Jay Williams one? Yes. Jay Williams is one. He's also had a double number. He was number 22. Okay. Um, and you're oh, missing... Oh, oh. Go ahead. Kyle Singler, 12. Nope. Kyle Singler's jersey has not been retired. With you. That's a shame. That might be a shame. You might be right. Um, you're missing a guy that was on your oh, top right. five list. Johnny Dawkins. Johnny Dawkins, number 24. And then you're missing a guy that played with J.J. Redick. And Sheldon then, Williams. Yep, number... Zero? 23. Okay, what do on that one? And then the last one um, is a big guy. Is it Danny Ferry? That's correct. Danny Ferry wore number 35 and was... And that jersey number is retired by Duke. There are four others that have been retired. Dick Grote, number 10, Mike Jaminski, 43, Art Heyman, 25, and Jeff Mullins, 44. Those are their only 13 retired jerseys in Duke history, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so that was pretty good. I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by your, by your recall. I wouldn't have been able to, to recall all as many of those. Um, certainly wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't been in the media guide looking at sure. that section recently. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yes, that's all I've got. Um, I had a couple other ones that were just way too overlappy with favorite Duke, you know, your all favorite teams. So we will save that for another time. But yeah, those are some of the things that I learned, just kind of remembered pondered as i was putting my list together so thank you for humoring me how close did kyle singler come to making your list not especially i mean now when you have five players like i don't consider like eight or nine nine or ten to be especially close Mm -hmm. um i'll put it this way i like when i first like before i wrote anything down i was like it was one of those he was one of the guys that that I thought of like sort of just in my head first, but he didn't come especially close to making the list. Um, if, you know, if we're talking about the guys that didn't make the team that would kind of had been next for me, that didn't make my team. Um, we're talking about Johnny Dawkins. We're talking about Bobby Hurley. We're talking about, um, 
those were the two i feel like there's like a kind of a seven guy list that stops of a shame battier was close um elton bran so it was probably i mean singler was probably in that i don't know battier and battier zion and singler were the three and jay williams as well that were kind of next for he was probably in that 10-ish range would I would it change it all if I told you he was fourth in career points, sixth and made three pointers? Let's see if I can find seventh in rebounds, and I believe had played more games in a Duke uniform than any other player. No, he is tied for second. Sorry, with Christian uh, Leitner. Who's first? Yeah, I thought you were going to ask you trivia time. Who's first? So it's got to be a guy. It's got to be one of those 90s teams, guys. It's got to be. Wrong. The, who played more games, though? It's like those current, guys played so many games every year. This is a current employee of Duke University. Is it Nolan? He's at Louisville now. Oh, right. I forget. Um, this is the person that took his spot on the bench. <laughs> or one of the openings on the bench. Um, it's not a player you would think of in the conversation we've been having, but if I tell you, you'll probably go, oh, I can see that. This what? player was part of very successful Duke team. Not, what, not the not the best two teams. What um what era are we talking about here? Give me, a, give me a decade. Mid twenty tens. Quinn Cook. No. He's uh, tied for eighth. Is he up there? Yeah. Tied with Nolan Smith and Danny Ferry, right behind John Shire and Chris Duhon. Who played? You're right. That was kind of a boring point of. This is not an all-time great Duke player. Did I say his name when I get throwing about point guard names? No. Is it a Plumley brother? No. Good guess though. Kind of in that vein. Um. Is it Zubac? No. Mid, mid 2010s, not early. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, yes. He was kind of the next era after those guys. So we're talking about a guy who played a bunch of games. So he was was he on the national title team? Which one? 2015. Yes. Um, Emil Jefferson. There you go. Wow, interesting. How many games did he play? How many more games has he played than Singler and Leitner? Like three. Two. <laughs> Two? Okay. 150. That's a lot of games. Wow, you're right. That's not one I would have thought of. So That's those are and Kyle, Kyle Singler has the record for most consecutive played games with 158. To me, there is a real there is absolutely an argument his jersey should be retired. And there's an there's an argument maybe would, he's on the on the bench, but he is absolutely a top 10. Coach K guy in my head. I, I, you've, you've convinced me. Yeah, he'd absolutely. If yes, 
Yep. But it's I'm kind of that. hard to say a Jay Williams or a Zion or somebody is less deserving of that spot than Kyle Singler. It's just he was very, very good it's, though. It's a he tough was... group. He would but he would easily make the top five of almost any other school, you know. Oh, easily. Easily. And just yeah. that's what happens when you join the brotherhood, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna throw up now. Okay, um, that's enough. That's enough on on the All K team. Anything else? Now that we have an NBA draft lottery to dissect, I feel like the draft is actually coming. I can now be excited for it. We're like the draft lottery is tonight. It's two thirteen on a Tuesday, seventeenth of May. So by the Look time you arrive and all that, what? Look at you arriving all that unintentionally. Did I really? Tuesday, seventeenth of May. Oh, I'm a poet. Didn't know it. Rhyme anytime. Okay. That's everything I've got. Yeah, we got... We'll, I'm going to uh, throw up. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yes, as you said, the sentiment of that. Yes, we are very close to actually having a draft order. Um, us being around here in Indianapolis, uh, the Pacers are about to find out which single-digit pick they have. For the first time since 1989, that was the last time the Pacers, I did this, I did all kinds of sports updates overnight last night uh, about this, about 1989, 1989. Um, They have a 42.1% chance of getting a top four pick. There you go. Yeah. We'll see. And we'll kind of, we'll kind of ramp up the draft stuff as we get closer to uh, the June 23rd. NBA draft uh, towards its back end of next month. But more importantly, next we're doing J-Rec. Next we're doing Villanova. Um, and I'm, I'll be very uh, curious to see the team, to, to hear the team that you, that, you, that you bring to the table next week. And I will continue the tradition that we've just started here today of bringing questions that you don't know oh, what they're going to be. Excellent. Um, because that's... Uh, <laughs> Because I dig that kind of thing. But if you've got nothing else, I've run out of things to talk about. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast, not podcast, Spotify, and the Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. And we'll be back next week with the All J Right team. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh, he's Josh, and we'll see you later.